Introduction to A Legend of Montrose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. A Legend of Montrose by Sir Walter Scott. Introduction. The Legend of Montrose was written chiefly with a view to place before the reader the melancholy fate of john lord kilpont eldest son of william earl of erith and menteith and the singular circumstances attending the birth and history of james stuart of ardverlich by whose hand the unfortunate nobleman fell our subject leads us to talk of deadly feuds and we must begin with one still more ancient than that to which our story relates during the reign of james the fourth a great feud between the powerful families of drummond and murray divided perthshire the former being the most numerous and powerful cooped up eight score of the murrays in the kirk of monaverd and set fire to it the wives and the children of the ill-fated men who had also found shelter in the church perished by the same conflagration one man named david murray escaped by the humanity of one of the drummonds who received him in his arms as he leapt from amongst the flames as king james the fourth ruled with more activity than most of his predecessors this cruel deed was severely revenged and several of the perpetrators were beheaded at stirling in consequence of the prosecution against his clan the drummond by whose assistance david murray had escaped fled to ireland until by means of the person whose life he had saved he was permitted to return to scotland where he and his descendants were distinguished by the name of drummond Irenach, or ernoch that is drummond of ireland and the same title was bestowed on their estate the drummond ernoch of james the sixth time was a king's forester in the forest of glenartney and chanced to be employed there in search of venison about the year fifteen eighty eight or early in fifteen eighty nine this forest was adjacent to the chief haunts of the MacGregors, or a particular race of them known by the title of Mackay, or Children of the Mist. They considered the foresters hunting in their vicinity as an aggression, or perhaps they had him at feud, for the apprehension or slaughter of some of their own name, or for some similar reason this tribe of macgregors were outlawed and persecuted as the reader may see in the introduction to rob roy and every man's hand being against them their hand was of course directed against every man in short they surprised and slew drummond ernoch cut off his head and carried it with them wrapped in the corner of one of their plaids in the full exultation of vengeance they stopped at the house of ardverlich and demanded refreshment which the lady a sister of the murdered drummond ernoch her husband being absent was afraid or unwilling to refuse she caused bread and cheese to be placed before them 
and gave directions for more substantial refreshments to be prepared while she was absent with this hospitable intention the barbarians placed the head of her brother on the table filling the mouth with bread and cheese and bidding him eat for many a merry meal he had eaten in that house the poor woman returning and beholding this dreadful sight shrieked aloud and fled into the woods where as described in the romance she roamed a raving maniac and for some time secreted herself from all living society some remaining instinctive feeling brought her at length to steal a glance from a distance at the maidens while they milked the cows which being observed her husband ardverlich had her conveyed back to her home and detained there till she gave birth to a child of whom she had been pregnant after which she was observed gradually to recover her mental faculties meanwhile the outlaws had carried to the utmost their insults against the regal authority which indeed as exercised they had little reason for respecting they bore the same bloody trophy which they had so savagely exhibited to the lady of ardverlich into the old church of balquitter nearly in the centre of their country where the laird of macgregor and all his clan being convened for the purpose laid their hands successively on the dead man's head and swore in heathenish and barbarous manner to defend the author of the deed this fierce and vindictive combination gave the author's late and lamented friend sir alexander boswell bart subject for a spirited poem entitled clan alpin's vow which was printed but not i believe published in eighteen eleven the fact is ascertained by a proclamation from the privy council dated fourth february fifteen eighty nine directing letters of fire and sword against the macgregors this fearful commission was executed with uncommon fury the late excellent john buchanan of cambusmore showed the author some correspondence between his ancestor the laird of buchanan and lord drummond about sweeping certain valleys with their followers on a fixed time and rendezvous about taking sweet revenge for the death of their cousin drummond ernoch in spite of all however that could be done the devoted tribe of macgregor still bred up survivors to sustain and to inflict new cruelties and injuries i embrace the opportunity given me by a second mention of this tribe to notice an error which imputes to an individual named seer moore macgregor the slaughter of the students in the battle of glenfruin i am informed from the authority of john gregerson esq that the chieftain so named was dead nearly a century before the battle in question and could not therefore have done the cruel action mentioned the mistake does not rest with me as i disclaimed being responsible for the tradition while i quoted it but with vulgar fame which is always disposed to ascribe remarkable actions to a remarkable name see the erroneous passage rob roy introduction and so soft sleep the offended phantom of dugald sar moore it is with mingled pleasure and shame 
that i record the more important error of having announced as deceased my learned acquaintance the rev dr graham minister of aberfoyle see rob roy page three hundred sixty i cannot now recollect the precise ground of my depriving my learned and excellent friend of his existence unless like mr kirk his predecessor in the parish the excellent doctor had made a short trip to fairyland with whose wonders he is so well acquainted but however i may have been misled my regret is most sincere for having spread such a rumour and no one can be more gratified than i that the report however i have been induced to credit and give it currency is a false one and that dr graham is still the living pastor of aberfoyle for the delight and instruction of his brother antiquaries meanwhile young james stuart of ardverlick grew up to manhood uncommonly tall strong and active with such power in the grasp of his hand in particular as could force the blood from beneath the nails of the persons who contended with him in this feat of strength his temper was moody fierce and irascible yet he must have had some ostensible good qualities as he was greatly beloved by lord kilpont the eldest son of the earl of erith and menteith this gallant young nobleman joined montrose in the setting up his standard in sixteen forty four just before the decisive battle at tippermuir on the first of september in that year at that time stuart of ardverlick shared the confidence of the young lord by day and his bed by night when about four or five days after the battle ardverlick either from a fit of sudden fury or deep malice long entertained against his unsuspecting friend stabbed lord kilpont to the heart and escaped from the camp of montrose having killed a sentinel who attempted to detain him bishop guthrie gives us a reason for this villainous action that lord kilpont had rejected with abhorrence a proposal of ardverlick to assassinate montrose but it does not appear that there is any authority for this charge which rests on mere suspicion ardverlick the assassin certainly did fly to the covenanters and was employed and promoted by them he obtained a pardon for the slaughter of lord kilpont confirmed by parliament in sixteen thirty four and was made major of argyle's regiment in sixteen forty eight such are the facts of the tale here given as a legend of montrose's wars the reader will find they are considerably altered in the fictitious narrative the author has endeavoured to enliven the tragedy of the tale by the introduction of a personage proper to the time and country in this he has been held by excellent judges to have been in some degree successful the contempt of commerce entertained by young men having some pretence to gentility the poverty of the country of scotland the national disposition to wandering and to adventure all conduced to lead the scots abroad into the military service of countries which were at war with each other they were distinguished on the continent by their bravery 
but in adopting the trade of mercenary soldiers they necessarily injured their national character the tincture of learning which most of them possessed degenerated into pedantry their good breeding became more ceremonial their fear of dishonour no longer kept them aloof from that which was really unworthy but was made to depend on certain punctilious observances totally apart from that which was in itself deserving of praise a cavalier of honour in search of his fortune might for example change his service as he would his shirt fight like the doughty captain dalgetty in one cause after another without regard to the justice of the quarrel and might plunder the peasantry subjected to him by the fate of war with the most unrelenting rapacity but he must beware how he sustained the slightest reproach even from a clergyman if it had regard to neglect on the score of duty the following occurrence will prove the truth of what i mean here i must not forget the memory of one preacher master william forbessa a preacher for soldiers yea and a captain in need to lead soldiers on a good occasion being full of courage with discretion and good conduct beyond some captains i have known that were not so capable as he at this time he not only prayed for us but went on with us to remark as i think men's carriage and having found a sergeant neglecting his duty and his honour at such a time whose name i will not express having chidden him did promise to reveal him unto me as he did after their service the sergeant being called before me and accused did deny his accusation alleging if he were no pastor that had alleged it he would not lie under the injury the preacher offered to fight with him in proof that it was truth he had spoken of him whereupon i cashiered the sergeant and gave his place to a worthier called mungo gray a gentleman of good worth and of much courage the sergeant being cashiered never called master william to account for which he was evil thought of so that he retired home and quit the wars the above quotation is taken from a work which the author repeatedly consulted while composing the following sheets and which is in great measure written in the humour of captain dugall dalgetty it bears the following formidable title monroe his expedition with the worthy scots regiment called mckee's regiment levied in august sixteen twenty six by sir donald mckee lord rees colonel for his majesty's service of denmark and reduced after the battle of nurling in september sixteen thirty four at worms in the pauls discharged in several duties and observations of service first under the magnanimous king of denmark during his wars against the empire afterwards under the invincible king of sweden during his majesty's lifetime and since under the director-general the rex chancellor oxenstern and his generals collected and gathered together at spare hours by colonel robert monroe as first lieutenant under the said regiment to the noble and worthy captain thomas mackenzie of kildon brother to the noble lord the lord earl of seaforth for the use of all noble cavaliers 
favouring the laudable profession of arms to which is annexed the abridgment of exercise and diverse practical observations for the younger officer his consideration ending with the soldier's meditations on going on service london 1637 another worthy of the same school and nearly the same views of the military character is sir james turner a soldier of fortune who rose to considerable rank in the reign of charles the second had a command in galloway and dumfrieshire for the suppression of conventicles and was made prisoner by the insurgent covenanters in that rising which was followed by the battle of pentland sir james is a person even of superior pretensions to lieutenant-colonel munro having written a military treatise on the pike exercise called palace armada moreover he was educated at glasgow college though he escaped to become an ensign in the german wars instead of taking his degree of master of arts at that learned seminary in latter times he was author of several discourses on historical and literary subjects from which the bannatyne club have extracted and printed such passages as concerned his life and times under the title of sir james turner's memoirs from this curious book i extract the following passage as an example of how captain dalgetty might have recorded such an incident had he kept a journal or to give it a more just character it is such as the genius of defoe would have devised to give the minute and distinguishing features of truth to a fictitious narrative here i will set down an incident befell me for though it was not a very strange one yet it was a very odd one in all its parts my two brigades lay in a village within half a mile of appleby my own quarter was in a gentleman's house who was a ritmaster and at that time with sir marmaduke his wife kept her chamber ready to be brought to bed the castle being over and lambert far enough i resolved to go to bed every night having had fatigue enough before the first night i slept well enough and rising next morning i missed one linen stocking one half silk one and one boot-hose the accoutrement under a boot for one leg neither could they be found for any search being provided of more of the same kind i made myself ready and rode to the headquarters at my return i could hear no news of my stockings that night i went to bed and next morning found myself just so used missing the three stockings for one leg only the other three being left entire as they were the day before a narrower search than the first was made but without success i had yet in reserve one pair of whole stockings and a pair of boot-hose greater than the former these i put on my legs the third morning i found the same usage the stockings for one leg only left me it was time for me then and my servants too to imagine it must be rats that had shared my stockings so unequally with me and this the mistress of the house knew well enough but would not tell it me the room which was a low parlour being well searched with candles the top of my great boot-hose was found at a hole in which they had drawn all the rest 
I went abroad and ordered the boards to be raised to see how the rats had disposed of my movables. The mistress sent a servant of her own to be present at this action, which she knew concerned her. One board being but a little opened, a little boy of mine thrust in his hand and fetched with him four and twenty old pieces of gold and one angel. The servant of the house affirmed it appertained to his mistress. The boy bringing the gold to me, I went immediately to the gentlewoman's chamber and told her it was probable Lambert having quartered in that house, as indeed he had, some of his servants might have hid that gold, and if so, it was lawfully mine. But if she could make it appear it belonged to her, I should immediately give it her. The poor gentlewoman told me with many tears that her husband, being none of the frugalest men, and indeed he was a spendthrift, she had hid that gold without his knowledge to make use of it as she had occasion especially when she lay in and conjured me as i loved the king for whom her husband and she had suffered much not to detain her gold she said if there were either more or less than four and twenty whole pieces and two half ones it should be none of hers and that they were put by her in a red velvet purse after i had given her assurance of her gold a new search is made and another angel is found the velvet purse all gnawed in bits as my stockings were and the gold instantly restored to the gentlewoman i have often heard that the eating or gnawing of cloths by rats is ominous and portends some mischance to fall on those to whom the clothes belong i thank god I was never addicted to such divinations or heeded them. It is true that more misfortunes than one fell on me shortly after, but I am sure I could have better foreseen them myself than rats or any such vermin, and yet did it not. I have heard indeed many fine stories told of rats, how they abandon houses and ships when the first are to be burnt and the second drowned naturalists say they are very sagacious creatures and i believe they are so but i shall never be of the opinion they can foresee future contingencies which i suppose the devil himself can neither foreknow nor foretell these being things which the almighty hath kept hidden in the bosom of his divine prescience and whither the great god hath preordained or predestined these things which to us are contingent to fall out by any uncontrollable and unavoidable necessity is a question not yet decided sir james turner's memoirs bannatyne edition page fifty nine in quoting these ancient authorities i must not forget the more modern sketch of a scottish soldier of the old fashion by a master-hand in the character of les mahago since the existence of that doughty captain alone must deprive the present author of all claim to absolute originality still dalgetty as the production of his own fancy has been so far a favourite with its parent that he has fallen into the error of assigning to the captain too prominent a part in the story this is the opinion of a critic who encamps on the highest pinnacles of literature 
and the author is so far fortunate in having incurred his censure that it gives his modesty a decent apology for quoting the praise which it would have ill befitted him to bring forward in an unmingled state the passage occurs in the edinburgh review number fifty five containing a criticism on ivanhoe there is too much perhaps of dalgetty or rather he engrosses too great a proportion of the work for in himself we think he is uniformly entertaining and the author has nowhere shown more affinity to that matchless spirit who could bring out his falstaffs and his pistols in act after act and play after play and exercise them every time with scenes of unbounded loquacity without either exhausting their humour or varying a note from its characteristic tone than in his large and reiterated specimens of the eloquence of the redoubted ripmaster the general idea of the character is familiar to our comic dramatists after the restoration and may be said in some measure to be compounded of captain fluellen and bobadil but the ludicrous combination of the soldado with the divinity student of marischal college is entirely original and the mixture of talent selfishness courage coarseness and conceit was never so happily exemplified numerous as his speeches are there is not one that is not characteristic and to our taste divertingly ludicrous postscript while these pages were passing through the press the author received a letter from the present robert stuart of ardverlick favouring him with the account of the unhappy slaughter of lord kilpont differing from and more probable than that given by bishop wishart whose narrative infers either insanity or the blackest treachery on the part of james stuart of ardverlick the ancestor of the present family of that name it is but fair to give the entire communication as received from my respected correspondent which is more minute than the histories of the period although i have not the honour of being personally known to you i hope you will excuse the liberty i now take in addressing you on the subject of a transaction more than once alluded to by you in which an ancestor of mine was unhappily concerned i allude to the slaughter of lord kilpont son of the earl of erith and monteith in sixteen forty four by james stuart of ardverlick as the cause of this unhappy event and the quarrel which led to it have never been correctly stated in any history of the period in which it took place i am induced in consequence of your having in the second series of your admirable tales on the history of scotland adopted weishart's version of the transaction and being aware that your having done so will stamp it with an authenticity which it does not merit and with a view as far as possible to do justice to the memory of my unfortunate ancestor to send you the account of this affair as it has been handed down in the family james stuart of ardverlick who lived in the early part of the seventeenth century and who was the unlucky cause of the slaughter of lord kilpont as before mentioned was appointed to the command of one of several independent companies raised in the highlands at the commencement of the troubles in the reign of charles the first
another of these companies was under the command of lord kilpont and a strong intimacy strengthened by a distant relationship subsisted between them when montrose raised the royal standard ardverlich was one of the first to declare for him and is said to have been a principal means of bringing over lord kilpont to the same cause and they accordingly along with sir john drummond and their respective followers joined montrose as recorded by wishart at Buchanty. while they served together so strong was their intimacy that they lived and slept in the same tent in the meantime montrose had been joined by the irish under the command of alexander macdonald these on their march to join montrose had committed some excesses on lands belonging to ardverlich which lay in the line of their march from the west coast of this ardverlich complained to montrose who probably wishing as much as possible to conciliate his new allies treated it in rather an evasive manner ardverlich who was a man of violent passions having failed to receive such satisfaction as he required challenged macdonald to single combat before they met however montrose on the information and by advice as it is said of kilpont laid them both under arrest montrose seeing the evils of such a feud at such a critical time effected a sort of reconciliation between them and forced them to shake hands in his presence when it was said that ardverlich who was a very powerful man took such a hold of macdonald's hand as to make the blood start from his fingers still it would appear ardverlich was by no means reconciled a few days after the battle of tippermuir when montrose with his army was encamped at Coles, an entertainment was given by him to his officers in honor of the victory he had obtained and kilpont and his comrade ardverlich were of the party after returning to their quarters ardverlich who seemed still to brood over his quarrel with macdonald and being heated with drink began to blame lord kilpont for the part he had taken in preventing his obtaining redress and reflecting against montrose for not allowing him what he considered proper reparation kilpont of course defended the conduct of himself and his relative montrose till their argument came to high words and finally from the state they were both in by an easy transition to blows when ardverlich with his dirk struck kilpont dead on the spot he immediately fled and under the cover of a thick mist escaped pursuit leaving his eldest son henry who had been mortally wounded at tippermuir on his deathbed his followers immediately withdrew from montrose and no course remained for him but to throw himself into the arms of the opposite faction by whom he was well received his name is frequently mentioned in leslie's campaigns and on more than one occasion he is mentioned as having afforded protection to several of his former friends through his interest with leslie when the king's cause became desperate the foregoing account of this unfortunate transaction i am well aware differs materially from the account given by wishart who alleges that stuart had laid a plot for the assassination of montrose and that he murdered lord kilpont in consequence of his refusal to participate in his design 
now i may be allowed to remark that besides wishart having always been regarded as a partial historian and very questionable authority on any subject connected with the motives or conduct of those who differed from him in opinion that even had stuart formed such a design kilpont from his name and connections was likely to be the very last man of whom stuart would choose to make a confidant and accomplice on the other hand the above account though never that i am aware before hinted at has been a constant tradition in the family and from the comparative recent date of the transaction and the sources from which the tradition has been derived i have no reason to doubt its perfect authenticity it was most circumstantially detailed as above given to my father mr stuart now of ardverlich many years ago by a man nearly connected with the family who lived to the age of one hundred this man was a great-grandson of james stuart by a natural son john of whom many stories are still current in this country under his appellation of john do more this john was with his father at the time and of course was a witness of the whole transaction he lived till a considerable time after the revolution and it was from him that my father's informant who was a man before his grandfather john do more's death received the information as above stated i have many apologies to offer for trespassing so long on your patience but i felt a natural desire if possible to correct what i conceive to be a groundless imputation on the memory of my ancestor before it shall come to be considered as a matter of history that he was a man of violent passions and singular temper i do not pretend to deny as many traditions still current in this country amply verify but that he was capable of forming a design to assassinate montrose the whole tenor of his former conduct and principles contradict that he was obliged to join the opposite party was merely a matter of safety while kilpont had so many powerful friends and connections able and ready to avenge his death i have only to add that you have my full permission to make what use of this communication you please and either to reject it altogether or allow it such credit as you think it deserves and i shall be ready at all times to furnish you with any further information on this subject which you may require and which it may be in my power to afford ardverlich fifteenth january eighteen thirty the publication of a statement so particular and probably so correct is a debt due to the memory of james stuart the victim it would seem of his own violent passions but perhaps incapable of an act of premeditated treachery abbotsford first august eighteen thirty introduction to supplement sergeant moore mcalpin was during his residence among us one of the most honorable inhabitants of ganderclough no one thought of disputing his title to the great leathern chair on the coziest side of the chimney in the common room of the wallace arms on a saturday evening no less would our sexton john Dward have held it an unlicensed intrusion to suffer any one to induct himself into the corner of the left-hand pew 
nearest to the pulpit which the sergeant regularly occupied on sundays there he sat his blue invalid uniform brushed with the most scrupulous accuracy two medals of merit displayed at his buttonhole as well as the empty sleeve which should have been occupied by his right arm bore evidence of his hard and honourable service his weather-beaten features his grey hair tied in a thin queue in the military fashion of former days and the right side of his head a little turned up the better to catch the sound of the clergyman's voice were all marks of his profession and infirmities beside him sat his sister janet a little neat old woman with a highland kerch and tartan plaid watching the very looks of her brother to her the greatest man upon earth and actively looking out for him in his silver-clasped bible the text which the minister quoted or expounded i believe it was the respect that was universally paid to this worthy veteran by all ranks in ganderclough which induced him to choose our village for his residence for such was by no means his original intention he had risen to the rank of sergeant-major of artillery by hard service in various quarters of the world and was reckoned one of the most tried and trusty men of the scotch train a ball which shattered his arm in a peninsular campaign at length procured him an honourable discharge with an allowance from chelsea and a handsome gratuity from the patriotic fund moreover sergeant moore mcalpin had been prudent as well as valiant and from prize money and savings had become master of a small sum in the three per cent consuls he retired with the purpose of enjoying this income in the wild highland glen in which when a boy he had herded black cattle and goats ere the roll of the drum had made him cock his bonnet an inch higher and follow its music for nearly forty years to his recollection this retired spot was unparalleled in beauty by the richest scenes he had visited in his wanderings even the happy valley of rosselas would have sunk into nothing upon the comparison he came he revisited the loved scene it was but a sterile glen surrounded with rude crags and traversed by a northern torrent this was not the worst the fires had been quenched upon thirty hearths of the cottage of his fathers he could but distinguish a few rude stones the language was almost extinguished the ancient race from which he boasted his descent had found a refuge beyond the atlantic one southland farmer three grey-plaided shepherds and six dogs now tenanted the whole glen which in his youth had maintained in content if not in competence upwards of two hundred inhabitants in the house of the new tenant sergeant mcalpin found however an unexpected source of pleasure and a means of employing his social affections his sister janet had fortunately entertained so strong a persuasion that her brother would one day return that she had refused to accompany her kinsfolk upon their emigration nay she had consented though not without a feeling of degradation to take service with the intruding lowlander who though a saxon she said had proved a kind man to her this unexpected meeting with his sister 
seemed a cure for all the disappointments which it had been sergeant moore's lot to encounter although it was not without a reluctant tear that he heard told as a highland woman alone could ten it the story of the expatriation of his kinsman she narrated at great length the vain offers they had made of advanced rent the payment of which must have reduced them to the extremity of poverty which they were yet contented to face for permission to live and die on their native soil nor did janet forget the portents which had announced the departure of the celtic race and the arrival of the strangers for two years previous to the emigration when the night wind howled down the pass of balacra its notes were distinctly modelled to the tune of ha till me tulit we return no more with which the emigrants usually bid farewell to their native shores the uncouth cries of the southland shepherds and the barking of their dogs were often heard in the midst of the hills long before their actual arrival a bard with the last of his race had commemorated the expulsion of the natives of the glen in a tune which brought tears into the aged eyes of the veteran and of which the first stanza may be thus rendered woe woe son of the lowlander why wilt thou leave thine own bonny border why comes thou hither disturbing the highlander wasting the glen that was once in fair order what added to sergeant moore macalpin's distress upon the occasion was that the chief by whom this change had been effected was by tradition and common opinion held to represent the ancient leaders and fathers of the expelled fugitives and it had hitherto been one of sergeant moore's principal subjects of pride to prove by genealogical deduction in what degree of kindred he stood to this personage a woeful change was now wrought in his sentiments towards him i cannot curse him he said as he rose and strode through the room when janet's narrative was finished i will not curse him he is the descendant and representative of my fathers but never shall mortal men hear me name his name again and he kept his word for until his dying day no man heard him mention his selfish and hard-hearted chieftain after giving a day to sad recollections the hardy spirit which had carried him through so many dangers manned the sergeant's bosom against this cruel disappointment he would go he said to canada to his kinsfolk where they had named a transatlantic valley after the glen of their fathers janet he said should kilt her coats like a leaguer lady damn the distance it was a flea's leap to the voyages and marches he had made on a slighter occasion with this purpose he left the highlands and came with his sister as far as ganderclo on his way to glasgow to take a passage to canada but winter was now set in and as he thought it advisable to wait for a spring passage when the st lawrence should be open he settled among us for the few months of his stay in britain as we said before the respectable old man met with deference and attention from all ranks of society and when spring returned he was so satisfied with his quarters that he did not renew the purpose of his voyage janet was afraid of the sea 
and he himself felt the infirmities of age and hard service more than he had at first expected and as he confessed to the clergyman and my worthy principal mr cleishbotham it was better staying with kind friends than going farther and faring worse he therefore established himself and his domicile at ganderclaw to the great satisfaction as we have already said of all its inhabitants to whom he became in respect of military intelligence and able commentaries upon the newspapers gazettes and bulletins a very oracle explanatory of all martial events past present or to come it is true the sergeant had his inconsistencies he was a steady jacobite his father and his four uncles having been out in the forty-five but he was a no less steady adherent of king george in whose service he had made his little fortune and lost three brothers so that you were in equal danger to displease him in terming prince charles the pretender or by saying anything derogatory to the dignity of king george further it must not be denied that when the day of receiving his dividends came round the sergeant was apt to tarry longer at the wallace arms of an evening than was consistent with strict temperance or indeed with his worldly interest for upon these occasions his competitors sometimes contrived to flatter his partialities by singing jacobite songs and drinking confusion to bonaparte and the health of the duke of wellington until the sergeant was not only flattered into paying the whole reckoning but occasionally induced to lend small sums to his interested companions after such sprays as he called them were over and his temper once more cool he seldom failed to thank god and the duke of york who had made it much more difficult for an old soldier to ruin himself by his folly than had been the case in his younger days it was not on such occasions that i made a part of sergeant moore mccalpin's society but often when my leisure would permit i used to seek him on what he called his morning and evening parade on which when the weather was fair he appeared as regularly as if summoned by tuck of drum his morning walk was beneath the elms in the churchyard for death he said had been his next-door neighbour for so many years that he had no apology for dropping the acquaintance his evening promenade was on the bleaching green by the riverside where he was sometimes to be seen on an open bench with spectacles on nose conning over the newspapers to a circle of village politicians explaining military terms and aiding the comprehension of his hearers by lines drawn on the ground with the end of his rattan on other occasions he was surrounded by a bevy of schoolboys whom he sometimes drilled to the manual and sometimes with less approbation on the part of their parents instructed in the mystery of artificial fireworks for in the case of public rejoicings the sergeant was pyrotechnist as the encyclopedia calls it to the village of ganderclaw it was in his morning walk that i most frequently met with the veteran and i can hardly yet look upon the village footpath overshadowed by the row of lofty elms without thinking i see his upright form advancing towards me with measured step 
and his cane advanced ready to pay me the military salute but he is dead and sleeps with his faithful janet under the third of those very trees counting from the stile at the west corner of the churchyard the delight which i had in sergeant mcalpin's conversation related not only to his own adventures of which he had encountered many in the course of a wandering life but also to his recollection of numerous highland traditions in which his youth had been instructed by his parents and of which he would in after-life have deemed it a kind of heresy to question the authenticity many of these belonged to the wars of montrose in which some of the sergeant's ancestry had it seems taken a distinguished part it has happened that although these civil commotions reflect the highest honour upon the highlanders being indeed the first occasion upon which they showed themselves superior or even equal to their low-country neighbours in military encounters they have been less commemorated among them than any one would have expected judging from the abundance of traditions which they have preserved upon less interesting subjects it was therefore with great pleasure that i extracted from my military friend some curious particulars respecting that time they are mixed with that measure of the wild and wonderful which belongs to the period and the narrator but which i do not in the least object to the reader's treating with disbelief providing he will be so good as to give implicit credit to the natural events of the story which like all those which i have had the honour to put under his notice actually rest upon a basis of truth End of introduction.